back for another week of Behind the Lens. And I got to turn my volume down. Ah, I'm too loud. Don't laugh, Brian. Don't laugh. Is it better? Yeah, much better. Um, For those of you that don't know, I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, film critic and creator and host of Behind the Lens. And you are listening to Behind the Lens live on Adrenaline Radio right now. Uh, AdrenalineRadio.com and AdviceRadio.com. You can find my reviews and interviews around the globe, in print and online, throughout the week. But every Monday, you can find me right here with my trusty cohort, my sound engineer, Brian, uh, at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And I guess that's all for the housekeeping stuff this week, Brian. As he nods, like like you guys can see him nod in, in the control booth. Well, but, you were addressing me, not the audience. Well, that's true. That's that's so true. Yeah, been a busy, busy, busy week. Um, we've got great stuff coming up in the future, including excerpts of my interview with Oliver Stone. Uh, yes, Scott Eastwood as well. Ladies, yes, calm down. Yeah, his eyes are that blue. Um, who else? Oh, we've got stuff on Storks. Kelsey Grammer. Um, so there's there's a lot of stuff, and uh, you know, with Toronto Film Festival around the corner, and then the great, the final quarter of the year push for Academy consideration for films. There are tons of great films coming out, and I'm starting to see quite a few of them. Uh, this past week, uh, I raced out of here on Monday and headed out to see a, a beautiful animated film called The Way North. It will be doing a limited one-week run in Los Angeles and I think New York also. If you see it, you know, listed at your at one of your art theaters, uh, please. I can't recommend it highly enough. It's beautiful, and they are really. It is directed by the former assistant director from The Secret of Kells, that was an Academy Award nominee, uh, and they're hoping to push the way north into Academy consideration. Uh, but that that off the top of my head, that's a great one. That's coming up. Uh, and I have to say, I'm setting the stage now for what, for the coming weeks on the film Snowden. Oliver Stone delivers Academy Award worthy, nominate, you know, award worthy film uh, on Eric Snowden. Any, uh, anybody that saw the Academy Award winning documentary Citizen Four by Laura Poitras. I can't recommend highly enough that you make sure you see Snowden when it hits theaters in a couple of weeks. Stunning performance by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. The story is spellbinding. It takes us behind what we've seen on the news. Uh, It's in part based on the Luke Harding's book. Uh, Oliver Stone did the adaptation with the screenplay and... You'll get to hear some of the interesting things that he had to say, especially when I ask him about writing this screenplay when you've got your hands tied by the Espionage Act and charges that are pending against Snowden, whom he met with nine times while he was working on the, on the film. So uh, stay tuned to Behind the Lens because we're going to have more on Snowden. But definitely put it on your radar, people. Um, it is one of the finest performances of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's career, and he will blow your mind when you watch him. And it's got a cast of characters in it, as all Oliver Stone films do. Each one is fabulous as the next, from Nick Cage to Scott Eastwood to Timothy Oliphant. Uh, wonderful up-and-comers, you know, Lakeith Stanfield, my buddy. Um, also Ben Schnetzer, who 
has the film Goat coming out as well. And for any of you that saw Southside with you this weekend about the first date of Michelle and Barack Obama, Parker Sawyers, the actor who portrays Obama, is also in Snowden. So we got a lot, a lot of cool stuff we're going to talk about in the coming weeks uh, and some great interviews on the projects. But today, it is a real thrill for me. At the half hour mark, we're going to have the fabulous Chris Klein live calling in. I had the good fortune to talk to Chris last week about his new film, Game of Aces. Most of you may remember Chris from his, possibly his first film, Election, Alexander Payne directed, or the American Pie franchise, and his indelible character of Oz. Well, Chris is, all, is you know all grown up, and now he stepped into a leading man status with this wonderful film called Game of Aces, written and directed by Damian Lay. And I got to say a huge, huge thank you to Chris right now before we even get him uh, on the air in about 20 minutes. Um, he ste- Damien was supposed to do the show today, but because he is flying uh, on a plane somewhere, uh, Chris is stepping in to be with us live. So that's pretty cool. And I'm really thrilled about it because I think Chris is just, he's so much fun and he is so passionate about this film. And when he and I start talking about it, you're going to find out why. But before then, so what's up? What's up, Brian? You know, we've got... I had a, an answer to your question about where the plane might be right now. Oh. It might be in the sky. Well, thank you. Just, that, just to clarify. That was very astute. Yeah. You know, I have to ask you, you know, a few weeks ago we started with the... Uh, the, the pizza pineapple survey? Oh, yes. Do we have any more updates on that? I, I You know, this is going to sound made up, and it's not. This is going to sound fabricated. I, I promise you it's not. I polled a total of 78 people. Okay. And it was tied. Wow. It ended with a tie. It, it, it really did. And I didn't want to ask any more people because I felt like that was perfect. That's that is pretty perfect. That's surprising. Yeah. It was it – was, for, for the longest time – Pineapple, no pineapple was winning by a landslide completely. And then pineapple caught up. And then for a while, pineapple was winning. And then it kept switching off in that way. And then the last person that I pulled said no pineapple. And then I looked at the numbers on my paper and I was like, wow, that isn't even. Wow. Nobody, nobody won. So the last vote was a no pineapple vote. That's okay. So that's where I leave it at. You know, I think I've exhausted enough manpower and hours in this uh, debate. That no one's speaking about anymore. Uh, well, that's but you know I just wanted to to get a final accounting here. You know, for those of you you know who who want to find out more fun things like that, surveys like pizza and pineapple or or other fun things. You know, Monday afternoons, a few hours after we go off the air with Behind the Lens, Brian has his own podcast here on radio show and podcast because he goes out live as well yeah nothing in particular podcast show with my partner dj uh we do like you said we do uh nothing in particular nothing in particular i I think last week we had a rapper guy on who was Mm -hmm. a lot of fun and uh we didn't speak pizza with him i forgot oh my biggest thing right now is to bring back the big cheeseburger from jack in the box Oh God! That's where I'm at right now. This is there is a lot of complications in my life, and I mean I'm starting school tomorrow, mm-hmm. but that's not as important as bringing back a cheeseburger. Oh my! 
Oh my! You know, and, and let's let's jump. I'll, I'll introduce my own segment here. Oh well, you do that because so I was actually talking to a colleague of mine, a friend and colleague of mine, uh, at the Saturday junket for Storks. Uh, talking about your segment, what they say. I want well. Number one, I want to give a huge shout out to Mike Sandoval and anybody out there. If you're looking for like a full entertainment site with you know music and sports and film and all kinds of and all kinds of other stuff, check out Muse uh, M U S E. Uh, Mike Sandoval doesn't he does a great job with it, and he's a really great guy. Uh, and uh, he doesn't go for gossip and exploitation, which. Anybody that knows me knows I appreciate that. That is very important and key. Uh, but, yeah, we were talking about Star Wars, and I know Mike listens to the show. Uh, and when he can't hear it live, I know he goes back and he watches the video of the show or listens on iTunes or my site or here on the Adrenaline Archive. But, yes, he is another Star Wars fan, and he loves your segment. Thank you, Mike, for enjoying the segment as much as I do because – I I do a service for all Star Wars fans. You need not look at the calendar and and hurt your feelings because as of today, <laughs> Star Wars Episode Eight is so long from now. It's four hundred and seventy two days, twelve hours, fifty minutes, and eight seconds to go. <sighs> and that eight seconds is taking forever. Now we're forty nine minutes, mm-hmm. so we're a little bit closer, guys. But but we do have something else coming out. Rogue One is 108 days away, 12 hours, like I said, 49 minutes. So Rogue One is, is, is here. If anything, um, with the month of September starting up, Disneyland is, is uh, going to stop with the 60th anniversary celebration, mm-hmm. with the Diamond celebration. So I expect as soon as they clean up the park for the 60th anniversary of Disneyland, we're going to start seeing a ton of Star Wars stuff. Not just at the park, but I mean, Disneyland in general, mm-hmm. I mean, Disney in general should start pumping out a lot of... Uh, creative and, and cool things with the tie-in for Rogue One. And well, you know, and, and we just talked about the other week, you know, the marketing tie-ins that they're doing with Verizon, with, you know, Energizer, you know. So we got batteries. We got with Nissan. Was it Nissan? Nissan. I was trying not to say which car brand because I forgot. Oh, no. I think Nissan. Okay. So, yeah. And, of course, you know, General Mills and cereals. Yeah. And so And Gillette. We should start seeing yeah an influx of of Rogue One deodorants, which you you made a very interesting point. I don't know if you made it or I made it, but it sounds like a you where they don't seem like they wear a lot of deodorant in the Star Wars universe. Everyone looks a little stinky, or yeah, or maybe they're using deodorant because they're not bathing. I'm not sure. Yeah, one of us made a point like that, and I could and I was watching episode eight. I was no, I was watching episode. I can't. Oh, sorry, I'm not watching episode eight. There's no way I could. Yeah, I was watching episode seven. And I was, and I just couldn't stop thinking about maybe how how much Luke stank to everybody there, especially after uh, cutting up that one, or after Han Solo cuts up the uh, the I always really forget the, the tauntaun, the tauntaun, and, and places them in there. And if they don't bathe, then that's a that's a whole different. Uh, <laughs> it, it, see, after that conversation, I was watching that scene, going, "Okay, that's that's cool." But if they don't bathe, boy, is that. That's not that's you know, not good juice all, all over you. All I do is I plant one little seed like that, and look where it goes. Oh yeah, yeah. I I couldn't I couldn't watch that movie without thinking how much does he probably smell. That's how Yoda found him so quickly. It wasn't <laughs> it, it, it wasn't the uh, the forest. It was him. He smelled him as soon as he got off that plane. Especially that that think about it. He smelled like the Tauntaun, and then he he was traveling in space. 
in, in the stinking tauntaun stinkiness with the with the with his suit on. I'm sure he's sweating up a storm. R two D two is lucky he doesn't have a nose. I, I you know it's it's you know, and this just goes back to what Scott Hecker was telling us about his first his first job when he did. He was a tauntaun. Oh no, he was the. He may he did the sound. He was the sound. He created the sound for. Chewbacca walking through the snow and the slush. Yeah, he he but, actually donned the f- the feet of Chewbacca. Yeah, and, and was on having his body drug through raw eggs. So we just have you know tidbits of trivia. Tid, yeah, find that episode. Go on the YouTube page and and find that episode because he he not only was a Star Wars, but I mean he had a ton of stories. He was interesting, and Scott will be back. Yeah, they, they were they were talking about holding me hostage and, and doing another four hours here, but you were hungry. Yeah. I know that's where the pizza. That's where the pizza started. talk came, came yeah. from. But that Star Wars, you know, like I said, I'm excited. I know you're excited as well. Very much so. Yeah, so we're we're both looking forward to this. And next week it should be. Like I and said, Mike Sandoval is excited too for yeah. Rogue One. He's he's like you. He's doing that. Rogue One is coming up, so we're happy. Yeah, but something else that makes me very happy is the last ship on TNT on Sunday nights. That is my guilty my television guilty pleasure is the last ship. And I am so thrilled because on September the 12th, the morning after season 3 finale, we're going to have one of the stars of the last ship and maybe two. Oh. Oh yes, Al Kernel will be with us live. Uh, to talk about the last ship, and for those of you fans of the show, you know that he plays one of the regional leaders, Manuel Castillo, uh, and we've just undergone a very big coup and the and the dissolution of the U.S. government. So there's there's good stuff happening. So hopefully by the end after this, that season three finale, and we have Al with us, uh, we might get some insight into where season four is going to go. So I'm very excited about that. <laughs> and he's been on the program at just a, a voice recording. Yes. Uh, interviews. Yes. Snippets of yours. Yeah. So he's making his live debut. So that's September. That's September 12th. 12th. That's September 12th. After the season three finale on the 11th. Yeah. And then once they start shooting again and we get uh, Brent Foster back and everyone's one of the everyone's favorite characters on the last ship. Uh, Brent plays Wolf. Uh, we're going to get we're going to get Brent on here live. So the only reason I knew is the 12th because the 11th is the official start of the NFL season. That is week one. Oh Lord. That is week one. And I am going to completely just disregard anything else that matters in my life for the next 16 weeks. Okay. Just to let you know right now. Okay. Depending on how the Niners do, I will either be in a grumpy mood or in a very excited mood. Well, you know, you can actually, you can actually start working on a segment, you know, for this show, if you want, or for your own show, football movies. Oh, you know, I've never watched a football movie. Well. And, and everyone tells me, I, Rudy, they tell me to watch Rudy. They tell me to you watch. You have homework. Yeah, I do. I, I will I will peep out a, a, a football movie just for you. Okay. All right. Well, let's get to Behind the Lens, though, and what we're here for. Uh, and one of the films that is just taking, you know, the entire country by storm right now just opened in an additional 900 theaters this past weekend, Hell or High Water. This screams Oscar, 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 Jeff Bridges. I better see him nominated. And it may be a long shot, but Chris Pine, this film turns him into a star. 
the depth, the texture that he brings. A fabulous story of two brothers who uh, they're trying to save the family, the family ranch, what used to be a cattle ranch uh, down in Texas, and because of the economy and drought, um, they're at the point of losing everything. Uh, but there is oil on the ground. But instead of letting letting it go into foreclosure and losing it so that the bank can get the, the benefit of the oil, the brothers come up with an interesting scheme of robbing banks to get enough money to pay off the mortgage. So basically, and they're robbing the money, they're t- robbing the banks that hold the mortgage on the ranch. Actually quite clever. The script is written by Taylor Sheridan. All of you out there know Taylor Sheridan from Sicario. Directed by David McKenzie. I sat down with David McKenzie, talked about the film. But I also got to do a one-on-one Skype with one of my favorite cinematographers, uh, Giles Nuchins. Giles has has known David McKenzie for 15 years. He has worked with him now. This is his sixth film. The visuals are absolutely stunning on Hell or High Water and are as much a character to the film as the individual characters themselves. So I had a chance to talk to him, starting with his relationship and working with David McKenzie. Yeah, he's a good, he's a good, he's, 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 he's fantastic to watch. And I hope it's the same for him. It's great to watch him develop as a filmmaker. Because he'd only done one small, he'd done a full-length feature, but it was a very, you know, a very, very low-budget feature before we actually met. And so to watch that develop, and obviously we've we've grown together and we understand each other better, and we've both grown calmer and more experienced. So that's that's been a really it's been a really fantastic thing to to sort of luck out. You luck out with that, you know. You, you find people that you enjoy working with. So since they do have such a chemistry, and when I spoke with David, he said the same thing about working with Giles. Uh, and hopefully next week I'll have, you know, put together some excerpts of my one-on-one with David. So you can hear that also since Hell or High Water, I'm sure, is going to be ever-increasing on the cinematic horizon uh, in the coming months. But I had to ask Giles, what is the magic of the two of them? Six films together? 15-year friendship? I do, uh, the one thing I do want to say about David and myself is that is that although it is hard to reason, but I do think we should we shouldn't forget the you know David style and the long shots and things like that. But in a minute, uh, the, the one thing that is I always find is fantastically important is understanding the strength of the characters and when that needs to be brought out within a frame. And and I do think that's an instinctive thing about and I, I actually operate the camera mm-hmm. and I and I do that and I do that because. There is no way, you know, I, I spend time with actors. I spend time on, you know, I'm, I'm around when rehearsing, I'm around when we're prepping. I, you know, I'm very, very close to directors, so I have an idea what they want to create emotionally out of each scene. And so complementing that force, and it's, it's what you're talking about, you know, whether you put somebody big in the foreground and whether you let the other person drop off or whether you balance the wind in the frame, is, is one aesthetic, uh, but it does have... You know where you are. You know where you are emotionally. You know what you have to deliver on that particular scene. You know where the you know who you should be pointing out at what particular point. Mm-hmm. And so and so I, and I think that's extremely important. And Dave and I hardly talk about this when we're there. You know, we we like we have a si- similar 
uh, aesthetic in terms of searching for a frame, particularly in anamorphic. We're shooting anamorphic, we're shooting scope. Um, but as I say, we don't actually have to communicate about this because we just know it's there. Because we're both close enough to the to the script and to the the actor's emotion that we know, you know, how we need to interpret that. And I do think I do think that's it's it is why I operate. I just can't I can't understand not having that contact. If if I would saying that you know people talk about the landscapes and things, and and I'm very proud that we shot basically we shot in, the, in June with overhead light in the middle of summer. Wow. And it just and it doesn't feel like that. And so I'm very proud that David and I managed to to manipulate the schedule and so that we didn't end up in this situation. I think there's one or two front lit shots that I couldn't avoid because of a schedule because we had some heavy days. But 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 you know we did that quite well. But the but the important thing for the two of us is the fact that each day we just you know the, the power of the frames and the matching of the power of the frames to the power of the people or the weakness of the actors at a specific point is very important and happens very naturally between David and myself. Yeah, and for any filmmakers out there, a lot of a lot of what Giles is saying, very key to developing that relationship and establish and getting that that visual tonal bandwidth that resonates with your emotional tonal bandwidth. And as you hear Giles talking, talking about shooting in June, and they shot in New Mexico. The story takes place in Texas, so it was a huge location a scouting process to find New Mexico locations to substitute for Texas. And the reason they went to New Mexico, not only tax incentives, but more bang for your buck because of the visuals that you get in New Mexico. So, obviously, what did I have to ask Giles about? Location. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, you have to give a, a lot of it to the fact that we're on, on a reservation that is, it is unbelievably beautiful. I mean, I did one other film out there years ago with Steve Buscemi. And and it was it, it was sort of amazing working in New Mexico. It's the it's the one incentive state where you get a lot back, mm-hmm. you know, because all the other like Atlanta, they just take everything away from you in the sense that there's nothing good to look at. Right. So unless you're shooting prisoners, which is depressing and has a very very strong emotional core, you know, you're you're sort of fighting everything that's around you. It's the old thing of people going to Toronto to shoot New York. Yeah, it seems dumb. So, but you know, New Mexico isn't. New Mexico is absolutely staggering. Uh, uh, it, it is unfortunately a little more like New Mexico than Texas, um, but um, but I think we did quite well in in trying to make that that transition and trying to you know replace Texas with New Mexico. Was the bulk or the bulk of the exteriors um, shot in Tucumcari? No, so they all shot basically uh, northeast New Mexico. Okay. Uh, our, our core place was Clovis because that's where we found four banks because we needed banks to, you know, without shifting the whole unit, we needed banks that looked significantly different in each place. And and Clovis is a small enough town that you can actually use one corner as if it was a much smaller town or big enough so that you can actually use it like it was a bigger one. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, the, the, the most amazing thing in Clovis was that there was the last bank where Toby goes to, uh, to, to actually pay the money back. And and that bank is completely out of scale with the with the world around it. So there's this huge, very very weird bank. I can't even remember whether I don't think the exterior is actually in the film, but it is extraordinarily exterior. And and the um, and so we we got this massive massive range within a very very small space. I mean, basically we had to make a decision about which town we chose in terms of 
in terms of managing the best balance of four banks mm -hmm. within, a, within a small area. The other place we looked in was we looked in Las Vegas, where I think they did a lot of um, no, con no country for all men. Mm -hmm. but, we, but we were sort of quite keen on avoiding <laughs> anything that that would stir that in the memory of people. Mm -hmm. uh, and and then I think we we looked in one other place, which had which had very very interesting Clayton, which was very very much like an old cowboy town and had had two fantastic banks in it. But then it didn't just have enough of other elements that we needed for the film. I mean, you know, filmmaking is a practical thing. You can't shift. We can't take a day down to shift a whole unit when we've got a very limited amount of time with the actors. Yeah, but part and parcel, and I think we have time to do this next one uh, right now. Part and parcel to the location is finding the location, especially when you want that look of Texas because the film stays set in Texas, but you're not in Texas. And Giles is one of the cinematographers that actually will go on location scouts, uh, intense ones. And that's exactly what happened here as they were first going to Texas to get the, the look and feel and sense of what they needed to replicate or find in New Mexico. It's a great process. So t take a listen as he talks about the road trip and what they were con their concerns were. Yeah, so, so the great thing about, and you know, I'll start off with, you know, with Taylor, Taylor Sheridan's writing, uh, because Taylor's got another film coming out which is called uh, Wind River, uh, which he actually directed, which he directed earlier this year. And, and same thing, you know, when Taylor writes, Taylor writes about the effect of the environment on people. Mm -hmm. So whether that be obviously the, the border between the United States and, and Mexico, which is, uh, you know, obviously because of the drug cartels and everything that works on Sicario. And that's, that's, I don't know whether he wrote Sicario too. When he did Wind River, he, he shot it in Utah and it was in the snow and the snow was a very important thing in it. So, you know, the, the whole of the, of the film basically is about socioeconomic decline and and therefore, and that is caused by obviously, you know, dry lands, drought, uh, the lack of ability to, to, to farm an area. And I think he wants to, each time he looks at that, he looks at the environment in a certain way and he realizes that, you know, the effect on, our, on the protagonist is so strong that he writes into the film that, that presence. Mm -hmm. You know, and that presence is a physical presence. It's a hard presence. Uh, you know, it's it's like us seeing the you know the old directs at the beginning, understanding that the you know the farmland is being taken over by oil, which is obviously a core part of the story. Uh, but also the fact that it's going through uh, a depression. Any any of the old the old ways of living are, are sort of disappearing, and the, this is the one generation, you know, Toby and Tanner's generation, where the, their father farmed. You know, they they had cattle, but that doesn't work within a drought. Mm -hmm. So. But that 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 affects that that weight that oppressive weight of economic decline caused by a very very difficult climate is is sort of written into what you know what Taylor you know it's what Taylor wants to explain Taylor wants to to explain that people's characters would change according to that there's a desperation that exists because of that mm -hmm. and I think and I think David David McKenzie the great thing about David McKenzie and David's done this on almost every film sort of drives me insane but he's very, <laughs> he's very strong about it and, I, and I'm always like it always takes me a little while to like I'm like David let's just you know let's just do a dialogue alright let's just deal with the events and, and da David is very very strong on on working uh, it's a difficult thing to ex explain but the it's it's almost like 
the 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 importance of the environment to the narrative. Mm -hmm. And then he he always takes that and he says, okay, this is I want to show this visually, but I also want to show it narratively. And at the beginning of the film, all of the signs that actually set up the economic depression that the you know the state's going through, you know, tell that story. But in fact, what's happening is we're viewing part of that at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a bit like it's a bit like subtitles, but it's actually there in front of you. Yeah. And David's very, very strong about that. And he was strong about that in, in, you know, when I first worked with him on Young Adam. He was strong about that in perfect sense. So it's, it's one part of his filmmaking. And he is, he's dogged about it. He's dogged about it. He keeps saying, I need this bit, I need this bit, I need this bit. You know, when we're out on the road, he says, I have to see the Chevron sign. I have to see that because I have to see it. So it's almost like dis discovering the landscape, discovering the social and economic decline, but through narrative elements. And that is just part one of the road trip story. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Terry Crews, actor, former football player, game show host, father of five and all around big dude. I'm also an expert on drama. I know all kinds of drama. There's the good kind that comes with having a house full of kids. There's the bad kind, like season-ending injuries. There's the necessary kind, like having an agent in Hollywood. And there's silly drama, like the drama around my percolating pectorals. And then there's the drama you can skip. Skip the drama that comes with not having your high school diploma or equivalency. Find free adult education classes near you and finish your high school diploma. Visit finishyourdiploma.org. Or text DIPLOMA to 97779. Message and data rates may apply. Reply STOP to opt out. That's DIPLOMA to 97779. And leave the drama to actors like me. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ed Council. Welcome back to Behind the Lens. Again, I'm Debbie Elias, film critic and creator and host of Behind the Lens. And you are listening to us live on AdrenalineRadio.com. But if you're missing us live, just remember, all of our shows are archived. You can find them on MovieSharkDeblore.com. You can find them on iTunes. And you can find them on the Adrenaline Radio archive. So please, listen to us. You'll have fun. Trust me. Well, maybe. Right now, we're going to have a lot of fun because... I am so thrilled to welcome Chris Klein. Hey, how are you doing, Debbie? I'm fine. God, long time no talk to. <laughs> yeah, you bet. You bet. I was really happy to, uh, to to get bumped onto the show today. Oh, my God. Well, you know, Damien owes you big time here because Damien was supposed to do the show. Yeah, he was. He uh, he ended up having to do have, having to travel a bit. So uh, they asked me if I'd step in, and I, I said, "Of course, I will." It'd be a pleasure talking with you. Well, because you know how much I love the film, and it you know, I want to make sure people can hear about the film, you know, from either Damien or from you, because you are so intricately involved in the making of Game of Aces. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. We, uh, we. I tell you, we had. We're, we're so excited that this film is coming out uh, September second. Uh, it's 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 been a long road, kind of straight up in the air. You know how uh, how, how little independent movies have to fight um, in, uh, and, and I mean I mean small independent movies, not a little fight. It's a big fight for the small <laughs> independent movies. 
um, uh, have to fight to get some theater time. And, and the fact that we're going to be able to open up is, is just really cool. I, I couldn't be more excited. Well, you know, it's interesting. You talk about the big fight for little movies. It's a big fight for anybody. Because uh, as I found out yesterday, Oliver Stone with his new movie Snowden that's coming out, uh-huh. distributors didn't want to touch it. They didn't want to take it. Yeah, it's, uh, it, hey, hey I mean, it's, it's, it's competition for everyone. That's that's just it. So, you know, you got somebody like Oliver Stone who's fighting for space just like you. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, he, he's definitely dealing with, uh, with, with, uh, with, with some controversial subject matter there, mm-hmm. uh, which, which we are not. We, no. are, uh, we, we, are, we are a... Uh, uh, an, an action adventure film, a story driven, character driven action adventure film, and uh, you know it, we're, we're we're taking this back, Debbie, as, as you know, to, uh, to to kind of a different era of filmmaking, using using practical effects, uh, having a whole lot of fun, telling a really really intricate story. Um, you know, we're we're a three character play out mm-hmm. in the middle of the Mojave Desert, uh, which was a really great character study. This film would actually work as a play yes it would and it's interesting that you say that because uh because damien had a couple of ideations of this movie before it was a film um it was a it was a documentary project uh he'd written an actually a one a one character play Mm -hmm. uh, uh surrounding this idea and um, and then uh, then he turned it into the uh, to, to the film that we're going to see September second. Well, and as I uh, you know as I described it, this harkens back, and it plays when you watch it like the Saturday afternoon serials. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, I was thrilled to hear you say that. I always am. That's that's exciting for us because you know when when we were making this movie, one of the goals was to make it feel. Like this was this was a this was a film from a different era, mm-hmm. and uh, and in this day and age of big CGI special effects, uh, you know the 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 magic that you can do uh, the, the the digital cameras that you can apply with digital cameras. Sometimes the filmatic aspects of of, uh, of movies get, gets a little bit lost, and 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 the cinematography, you know, cinematically. Uh, uh, this movie, Mark Christian, the DP, and Damien Lay uh, really had uh, really had a strong opinion about how they wanted it to look visually, and and I think that they did a great job pulling it off. Oh, I mean, I think I think it's beautifully executed. But you know, to, to let all of our listeners know how what what is the the basic plot of these World War One flying aces? Yes, absolutely. So. Uh, so the movie's called Game of Aces. Uh, it is a story about an, uh, an American pilot who's, uh, who's working in conjunction with the Allied forces in the Arabian Desert in World War I, circa 1918. And he's a, he's a rascal. Jackson Cove is a rascal, and, and he gets grounded. Uh, he says he's crashed too many planes. And, uh, and, and he's, uh, he's assigned a job to go out into the desert in a Model T Ford with a British nurse named Eleanor, Mor- Eleanor Morgan to uh, try and find a downed German pilot, Josef von Zimmermann, who is the greatest German fighter pilot of the era. And, of course, he's working for the Allies. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't sure how much we wanted to uh, give spoiler. spoiler well, alert I, I on think the it's show. I think it's safe. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that much because of all the twists and turns that then follow. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the the twists and turns of uh, of the plot of this movie uh, were I, I thought were uh, were just made made the story. So intricate and so interesting. Um, more than just a, uh, a, 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 a linear structure that goes from point A to point B to point C. We have some fun twists and turns in there, don't we? Oh, there are some fabulous ones. And the only reason I think it's safe to say, you know, who, you know, Joseph von Zimmerman is, is because of the fact that, okay, why would a nurse... And, you know, just some American pilot working with the Allies go out looking for this guy in the desert somewhere. There's got to be a reason. There's got to be a reason, and that's that's the reason. But uh, as is always the case, things are not always what they seem. No, not always what they seem. And and keep your your eyes on Nurse Eleanor Morgan, too, because uh, because when, when, when she arrives, you think, oh, okay. Uh, this is pretty interesting, and uh, and then the plot thickens. Uh, I, I really uh, I, I really appreciate the work that Victoria Summer did in this movie. She plays Eleanor Morgan, and she just did a wonderful job. And and the and the camera, uh, oh. to some of the some of the images that that we have of the character Eleanor Morgan really do help us feel like we're like we're back uh, like we're back in, in in a different time well and a lot of a lot of those images number one the camera just loves eleanor i mean just loves yeah. victoria <laughs> they love and when you say keep your eyes on the character of eleanor morgan victoria is so beautiful and the way her her hair and makeup is done with very white skin bright bright red lips which is very indicative of the era and the black hair you know, it just, the contrast, you can't help but keep your eyes on her. It's true. It's true. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's incredible because uh, the camera really, really does love her. And, and they, they did such a great job with her look. I, I just, every time uh, that, that I see this movie or see a still of, of some of the images there of this character, it just looks iconic to me. It really does. And you see particularly, and with the character of Eleanor, not through your character, not through the character of Joseph, which is played by the fabulous, you know, Werner Don, um, or Dane, however he says it in German. Uh-huh, um, Werner Don, yeah. Don. Yeah, he's so talented. We were so lucky to get him on this movie. He just really raises it to, to, to a whole other level. But, you know, the costume speaks so much, and it's Eleanor who actually has the costume changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the wardrobe plays a huge part, and I'm I'm glad that you bring that up as well as the practical effects. Oh. You know, for for a for a low budget movie, um, when Damien when, when Damien revealed to me that they were working in the middle of Missouri with a company called Aerodrome Aircraft Manufacturing to replicate a DR1 Fokker and an SC5 uh, uh, British British warplane. I was amazed at the level of commitment because uh, uh, they they brought these planes out to the desert. They replicated a Model T Ford, and we have these props and these beautiful vehicles that are actually flying and actually driving through the desert. And uh, and the 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 
just the realness of the whole scene uh, comes together when you have those practical effects. I, I was just so impressed by the by 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 the level of detail in in Damien's prep. I mean, I'm always very, I'm a huge huge fan of doing things practically, be it effects, be it stunts. You know, I'm very old school in that respect. And me too. Me too. We're we're on the same bandwagon. It adds so much texture to the film when it's it's you know it's it it's the tactile sensibility that comes across with the actors that they're not you know petting a tennis ball on a stick. Uh, mm-hmm. When you have this, and you, I mean, the Model T, the Model T steak bed is just that is incredibly incredible with the detail on the interior as well as the exterior exterior and you even got to drive it yeah <laughs> yeah it, it drove pretty darn well through those sand dunes too they, they really geared that thing up well i think they may have geared it up a little bit more modern than it would have been otherwise but <laughs> but, but what's under the hood is uh, it, it will we'll, we'll, we'll keep to ourselves. <laughs> but, you know, the interior of the car, though, from the floor, yeah. from the pedals, everything. Yeah, the, the level of detail in that vehicle was spectacular. Uh, they did a really great job replicating that. And, um, you know, again, when, when you have these set pieces, as an actor, there's nothing more fun because there we are out in the Dumont Dunes recreation area of the Mojave Desert mm-hmm. uh, in California. And uh, we have these amazing sand dunes and this expanse that seemingly goes forever. We have this vehicle. We're out in the desert. And, and as an actor, if, if you're not immediately there as character, you may want to find a different vocation because acting might not be for you. I mean, it's just it's the visual is absolutely stunning the the vista that we see the panoramic vista for miles around it is breathtaking and that has to that had to have really put you into time and place you throw on your bomber jacket you see this model t you see the nazi you know plane crashed in the desert you know th- that has to take you there uh, all of a sudden, I was never not Jackson Cove. I was Jackson Cove my whole life. Uh, when when you put all those elements together, I remember the first time that I saw um, that I saw the uh, the Dumont Dunes recreation area. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed at, uh, at 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 how it looked. I I'd never seen. I've never seen desert that pure. And, um, you know, we, we shot in January, which was interesting. And I, I, um, I had asked Damien, I said, we're, we're using 100% natural light to shoot this movie. And you want to go in January. Uh, why, why would we go in January when we're only going to get six, seven at best, eight hours of good, natural, usable light? <laughs> and he mm-hmm. said, because if we go in June, we'll die. <laughs> 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 so very good. He certainly had me on that point. And what, what was great about the light, um, is that the, the, the winter, the low lying winter light in the desert makes those shadows yeah. spread across good and early throughout the day. And the, the lighting was just so, so spectacular. The, the desert just looked beautiful. All of us, the, the crew, the cast, everybody involved, 
every day at sunset, everybody was outside taking photographs and just drinking it in. It, it was it was really a spectacular place to be. Yeah, and and it just you one look at it on screen, and you just you just have to sigh and go, oh. <laughs> and that's before yeah. we even get to see you. So, oh, listen to you. Yeah, yeah that that uh, that I I hope that uh, I I hope that uh, that that the listeners do uh, uh, do 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 hear that because uh, because to to see a movie like this on the big screen is how it's meant to be seen. Um, and uh, and I, I really hope people are able to, uh, to to get out to the theater to check it out the the, the way that we uh, the way that we meant it to be seen visually. Well, I got to ask you about uh, our World War One uh, fighter plane. You didn't get to fly it, but is that actually you though driving it through the desert? <laughs> That is me driving it. Yes, that that is me driving it. And we did have a few situations where Hollywood magic had to took pla- had to take place, and we had to drag it. Mm-hmm. Uh, once in a while, we needed a lead car, and uh, and um, and of course for the stunts, um, uh, how, how is it going to drive itself? We we did use Hollywood magic for that as yeah. well. But uh, but but when it's when it when you see me uh, throttling up, that that is me driving the driving the vehicle as much as it would drive, um, and uh, and you know uh, stunting and all that sort of thing, uh, driving all of those sorts of things, just make it uh, it just made it a whole lot of fun for for all of us. The everybody shooting the film, mm-hmm. uh, Damien directing the film, me acting and stunting in the film. Uh, all of that was uh, was just fantastic, and uh, you know, part of practical effects uh, that's so great is uh, is is some of these young guys that were on the crew had really never seen practical effects in action, and they yep. just had a ball. They just you know because everybody needs to be in a safety harness because we're going to be towing and we're going to get this thing up to speed, and then you know, and then a cool stunt's going to happen. Uh, all that stuff is just so fun and so cool to be a part of, um, and and for me uh, as an actor, that that's really that, that's really the fun stuff. The acting is always the 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 reason that I'm there, and and the the reason why I love what I what what I do. The stunting, though, that's the icing on the cake. Oh God, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, when I when I was started out here in in L.A., I was hanging out with all the old time stunt guys who did all the old John Ford westerns and you know sixties and seventies TV. And there's nothing like it. And they they're the ones that got me into second unit stuff. They're just a fantastic. Uh, they're a fantastic fraternity. Um, I, I remember when I was a young guy uh, coming up and. Um, uh, well, I should say a young kid when I was a young kid coming up and, uh, and any time I could, I could garner respect from a stunt man was, was a good day for me because they're, they're such a great fraternity and with, and, and, you know, they're such an important part of the movie making process yeah. without, w- without second unit, so many movies don't get made and they, they, they deserve to be, uh, they, they, they deserve every, uh, every accolade they get. Oh, I'm telling you, but you know, I still want to know. Why wouldn't they let you fly the plane? Okay, so that so, that just so, that disturbs me that you did not get to fly the plane. And I appreciate that very much. <laughs> and, uh, and and yes, it is disturbing. However, uh, 
uh, I am not a licensed pilot. And I am certainly not licensed to fly um, World War I um, replica aircraft. So the safety, the safety barometer for that particular stunt mm-hmm. was, was high enough that, that we had to pull the reins on that one. You know, um, there, are, there, there are things that you do need skilled craftsmen to do, mm-hmm. and flying replica aircraft is definitely one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously Harrison Ford wasn't available. That's it. That's it. He, he wasn't. He wasn't. Oh, my God. Now, you've been in this business, you've grown up in this business, and you have made this wonderful transition from youth now into a leading man action role, quite honestly. Uh, You know, and as we talked about the other day, you know, it's like I started seeing that progression, you know, when you did We Were Soldiers. And, you know, you expanded your comedy a little bit more in Just Just Friends and then your TV one-offs here and there. But you've really, now you've come into your own after all these years with that leading man action status with this role in Game of Aces. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I tell you what, I'll, I'll definitely take that. I've, I've waited a long time. Um, you know, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's partly an age thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, because, uh, because I, I started when I was 18 and, um, you know, these, uh, uh, the, the, the character like Jackson Cove, I, I couldn't play until just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, what did I have the right look and the right sensibility and the right frame of reference to build the character on? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, these characters are, are weathered characters. They've had life experience, uh, and they've seen some things, and they're affected by it. And, uh, and, and in order to play those as an actor, I believe you have to go through some life experience, if for no other reason than to look age-appropriate for the character. And I'm really excited about uh, this next chapter of my career, Debbie, because, uh, because you're, you're right. I, I am going to have an opportunity to, to jump into these, into these roles that, that really, as a, as, a, as a youngster, as a kid, these were the roles that I fell in love with in the movies. These, mm-hmm. these were the roles that I went, you know what, if that's, if that's in fact an actor on the screen, if, if Indiana Jones is an actor, speaking of Harrison Ford, then I want to be an actor because I couldn't imagine having more fun or feeling more cool than that guy must feel. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you bring up a very interesting point. It's something that I have battled and, and complained about you know, especially over the past 20 years, because it's become more of a problem rather than looking at actors that do have the life experience to bring to and embody in a character. Everybody, they're looking for name talent or big names. And I'd say at least seven out of 10 times, if not more, the younger talent they're going for, they don't have that experience to bring that life essence to the character. I, I think that that's a, that that's a very valid point. Um, though I, I I have to admit I, I don't have I, I don't have a platform um, in, in that regard. I I I think very more a, a lot more personally uh, because I am because I am an actor. Um, for me, 
It's about uh, ju- just as it was when I was a kid. Now, mm-hmm. now when I was a kid, it was all about uh, you know uh, the right character at the right time. And I, I I I had a couple characters that I got to play that were the right character for the right time. I had the right voice, and I could embody that character appropriately. And now it's about um, uh, uh, now it's about doing that at 37 and saying, you know what, this is what I have to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe in it. I've honed it. And now I need to really search for, for the part that, uh, that is the right character for the right time. And I have the right voice and I can embody that character. And that's a search for me, Debbie, that is very, very empowering. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it, and it, and it leads to, uh, to, to being, uh, to being creatively engaged almost all the time because I'll be in situations as an actor and I'll go, oh man, I, I need to log that. I, I can use that uh, in, in a character. And, and so the, the, the search goes on and, and God willing, I'll, I'll be healthy and I'll, uh, and I'll, and I'll be able to do this for years and years to come. And then you and I'll be talking about me playing the grandpa because I can now embody those characters. And, and, and if, That'll be so cool. <laughs> and I, I really, uh, you know, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a marathon for me, and uh, and it's it's about the journey for me, and um, and you know, uh, I, I I think that that's a beautiful gift uh, that uh, that you get when when you are an actor. That is uh, that is you get to take all your life experience at the time and put it to good use. So. You know, I have to ask you because I've been watching my Twitter, you know, blow up today when I posted that you were going to be on the show. And <laughs> you have a core audience out there from your American Pie days. Mm-hmm. What have you taken with you besides this audience that is faithfully following you, you know, now? What did you take did you take away personally? And as an actor from that franchise, not too many people are lucky enough to have a recurring character in a successful franchise that spans a number of years. But you did. Loads and loads of gratitude. Um, You know, you're absolutely right. To be a professional actor um, is, is, is to make a living as a professional actor is nearly impossible because it's so competitive to be an actor, uh, to make a living as an actor, to be a career actor, to have a huge global franchise on your resume Mm -hmm. certainly is even more impossible than that. And I, and I have one and, and I do have a, uh, a fan base, uh, uh, because of that. And there's just, uh, there's loads of gratitude. Um, I learned so much going through that process. Uh, it, it was, it's, it's a gift that keeps on giving, uh, in terms of, uh, uh, personally, um, I, you know, people love that, love those movies. My audience has grown up with me and, uh, and I, and I hope that, uh, that because of that, when they see my name attached to projects, they'll go, you know what? I really like that guy from that franchise. Let's go see what he's offering, uh, offering today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we can just keep that symbiotic relationship going. That, that, that's my hope. Well, and you know, my hope with Game of Aces, it is so well designed that it could very easily be made into a franchise 
or a series. It, it has that kind of dynamic and storytelling to it. And I would love to see that, you know, this develop into something beyond this first film. I certainly would, too. I, I really, really would, too. And I appreciate you saying that so much because, uh, you know, Damien Lay and I have uh, have developed a, a wonderful relationship, not only a working relationship. He's become a very, very dear friend of mine. And uh, and we uh, we hope to uh, to continue uh, our relationship, uh, producing and, uh, and 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 developing pictures for for uh, movies and television concepts. And and uh, the Game of Aces concept is one that that we really really hope that we can uh, that we keep can keep rolling with. And for me personally, uh, because I love the movie, I love the look of it, and I love Jackson Cove. I love playing Jackson Cove, and um, and uh, and and I would I would really really love to revive this character and, and keep Jackson rolling. I mean, he really does. He has that Indiana Jones kind of vibe. <laughs> yeah, he really he does. does. And he does, and and the opportunity to uh, to honor some of those characters uh, of my youth uh, is a real treat for me, and and to be of the age where I, where I can do that is a is a real treat for me. So now let me ask you before I let you go and before we run out of time almost totally today, uh, <laughs> which is always so fun to do, what did you personally learn about yourself or take away from the making of Game of Aces? Um, that's a wonderful question, and I, I really appreciate you asking that. Uh, and for me Personally, what I took away from making Game of Aces is that I do truly, truly adore character-driven storytelling. Um, I love doing the stunts. I love, uh, I love all that stuff. I, I, and the action adventure of it all, I love. But I really, 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 truly adore character-driven storytelling, and it's inspired me to continue searching for that character-driven story, and it's uh, inspired me to continue to to keep searching for characters that 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 are the onion that I can peel back the layers that uh, that, that the audience can go, man, I felt that, or man, I know what that is, or man, I really love watching that 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 guy, uh, that character on screen, and uh, it, it's it's been really inspiring for me. So now, besides being a new dad, which you have to learn how to tackle now, what, yeah. what, what, what other roles do you have? What other show, roles do you have coming up after Game of Aces? Uh, for me, uh, I actually, uh, Lena, my wife, and uh, and my uh, uh, my baby boy Easton, uh, we're all going to travel up to Portland, Oregon, to make a romantic comedy uh, this fall, which is going to be wonderful to be in the fall in the Pacific oh. Northwest. Are in the Pacific Northwest in the fall, and uh, it's a romantic comedy that uh, I'm really excited about. It's directed by a wonderful man named Harvey Lowry. It's called The Competition, and uh, what we're uh, what, what we're doing in this movie is we're we're really asking the question: Is is is, is there really the one? Do we believe in the one? And uh, and I love that I love that question because I believe in the one, and I and I and I'm one of the very very fortunate to have found my one. My my wife Lena is absolutely my my my, my son is amazing and a miracle, 
but none of it happens without my wife. She is uh, the best thing that's ever happened to me by far. And so to, uh, to, to, to tell that story with that point of view, I'm, I'm kind of excited to do. And to do a romantic comedy, Debbie, uh, that, those are always a whole heck of a lot of fun. And I haven't done one for a while, so I'm really excited to get, uh, to get back in that genre. And, you know, now with more maturity behind you, it'll be a whole new experience. One thousand percent. Oh, Chris, thank you so much for calling in today. This has been just another absolute joy talking to you. Oh, absolutely. It's been such a joy talking with you. I, I so appreciate the time and so appreciate your, uh, your, your listeners uh, listen to me chat on. And, uh, and thank you very, very much. I, it's, it's been a great time with you. Oh, absolutely. And you'll have to come back on the show either when you're in production and shooting up in the Pacific Northwest or after you get the film done. Hey, you got it. You can count on it. As, uh, as, as soon as we're set, we will uh, we'll give you a holler for sure. You can count on it. Oh, fabulous. Chris, thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. You have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. And that was the fabulous Chris Klein. And, of course, this comes as no surprise to our regular listeners. We are out of time. Go see Game of Aces in theaters this week when it opens on Friday. Another film that I highly recommend that you go see that opens is The Light Between Oceans with Michael Fassbender. Um, It is a beautiful, beautiful film. Uh, And we'll be back next week. We should have an in-studio guest. I'm not saying who it is because we've had a few that, due to shooting schedules, we've had to re-juggle things lately. But we'll hear more from Giles Nuchins on Hell or High Water, plus hopefully some from David McKenzie. And until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 